That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Streetery lives and is ready to host all Nats fans for the entirety of the 2022 season. Walters would like to thank everyone for their assistance in helping to keep this vital part of Walters business around. Now let's get into the more important stuff and play ball. If you're looking for the best sports bar in Navy Yard, make sure you walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No balls, one strike. Rainy sense, third base side of the slab. Bell holds the runner, Cannon. Now the set of the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball to the left center field. Robles and Thomas, they're both calling. It's Robles there. He makes the catch. And bang, Azuma, curly W is in the books. The Nationals get into the win column for the first time in 2022 as they score three runs in a very exciting bottom of the eighth inning and come from behind to beat the New York Mets. The final score of the Washington Nationals for the New York Mets, two. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, April 11th. 2022, along with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we now can say with certainty that the Nationals will not go winless in their 2022 regular season. For the first time in this season, we can proudly say we are doing an installment of the Nats Chat podcast off a Nats win, what was a come-from-behind win as the Nats overcame a 2-1 eighth-inning deficit with three runs in the bottom of the eighth for a 4-2 win over the New York Mets in Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. That's now 1-3 on the season. Davey Martinez, for the first time this season, can say that he is proud of the boys. He also, for the first time this season, can say that his starting pitcher went at least five innings. As Jack Buck once said about something else, I don't believe what I just saw, Eric Fetty going at least five innings. Now, he went exactly five innings, but he lasted for five innings. That's a win. That's a positive. He gave up just two runs. Nats bullpen was great. Nelson Cruz had two huge hits. Nats made more quality defensive plays. Mark, I don't know how many of these uh, victorious installments of the pod we'll be doing this season, so let us enjoy this installment. Everybody, enjoy this. It's Monday morning. The Nats are victorious. Good vibe all around. This was an historic victory because you've got, like you just said, the starting pitcher going five. You have Nelson Cruz hitting his first homer as a national, his 450th as a major leaguer. And you have small ball, National League style baseball. It's not dead yet, folks. 
They did it. They actually made it happen. Lucius Fox with the squeeze bunt. Now the set and Williams. The pitch, a bunt up the first baseline. Alonso has it. They toss to the catcher. Nito on the tag. Too late. D. Strange Gordon scores. And the Nationals have tied the game at two. For the first time, Davey used a player off the bench in a game. The National League style of baseball can still work, everybody. It worked. They won the game. How about that? See, now I will always prefer the Earl Weaver three-run homer and a cloud of dust style of baseball, but I know you love the National League small ball, and you know what? It did work on Sunday afternoon, and if you're the Nats with how bad their offense was for so much of this series, you had to try stuff, okay? You had to just throw stuff against the wall and see what could happen, and so why the heck not? Lucius Fox, a beautiful bunt on a successful safety squeeze play, comes up in what ends up being a three-run Nats eighth. Runners at the corners, nobody out. Nats are down 2-1. And with pinch runner D. Strange Gordon on third, I mean, Mark, that was textbook, what Lucius Fox did right there. You can't do it any better. And I feel bad he didn't even get credit for his first major league hit. We'll see if that changes. It was just scored as a sacrifice and a fielder's choice. I felt like even if Pete Alonso tried to make the play at first, it would have been close and he might have beat it out. You can't do it any better. This is a fun kid. I hope he sticks around and does some stuff and everyone gets to hear his interviews because he is a really fun kid who is absolutely loving this experience. He found out late night on Saturday that he was going to get the start. He kept waking up in the middle of the night, early in the morning in his mind, thinking of all the different scenarios that might play out during a game. He was visualizing all of these. And he even said like the idea of bunting was something that was in his mind. And so when it came up, when he got the sign, he was prepared for it. He did it perfectly. He said, you got to do whatever you can to execute, help your team win a game. And it was flawless. I loved it. And look, I'll tell you what, it fired the crowd up. It fired the dugout up in a way that sometimes other hits, other great moments don't for whatever reason. So it worked. It worked and it set off this really nice rally for them. If they don't win this game and they go 0-4 to start the year and they're not scoring any runs, like it's a depressing situation. Now, yeah, they're one in three. They've got all kinds of issues. This doesn't suddenly mean they're about to take off or anything like that. But it's a much better vibe to win that game. And I think not just to win it, but to win it the way they did. If you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers at NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. That's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Also, the brand spanking new Nats Chat Podcast red t-shirt is out. Make a fashion statement unlike any other by getting yourself a red Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. Yeah, Lucius Fox, you know, I mentioned Earl Weaver. The Nats claimed Fox off waivers from the Orioles this past November 30th. This is a guy born in the Bahamas, was signed by San Francisco as an international free agent in 2015. I mean, nobody was really talking about him making the Nats opening day roster. He ends up doing so due to a variety of circumstances. I guess principal among them, A. Ray Adrianza, being injured. But, uh, you know, it wasn't just the safety squeeze bunt that Fox had in this game. He also had that sparkling defensive play. Here's the pitch. Swing and a ground ball toward the middle. Diving stop. Lucius Fox to his feet. One hop throw to stretching bell is in time for the out. Welcome to the big leagues, Lucius Fox. So Fox was an at starting shortstop in this game. Alcides Escobar offensively really had not done much in this series. And how about the play that Fox made 
for the first out in the top of the third. He's on the border of the infield dirt in the outfield grass, makes his diving stab of a hard hit Pete Alonso grounder, and then Fox from his knees firing to first base for the out. There were so many good defensive plays by Nats players in this series. That was one of many of them. But boy, that was an impressive play by Lucius Fox. What a way to make your first defensive chance as a big leaguer. And again, he said he had visualized in his mind, oh, it'll probably be just a routine play at short because that happens all the time. And no, it's a, a web gem. It was fantastic. I think it helped him sort of relax. He said, okay, you know what? It's still just baseball. Yeah, the stage is bigger. The crowd is a little louder, but it's the same game that I've always played. I said, this kid is a delight. It's kind of a crazy story of how he got here. He had already been sent down to the minors. He drove with a friend all the way to Rochester, thinking he was going to open the year there. All of a sudden, the day after he arrived, they told him, get back down here. We might need you to make the team. He flies back down. Now he's on the opening day roster. He finds out the night before he's going to be in the lineup, and he plays with energy. He's got a smile on his face all the time. I know the Batman fans out there like the references to Lucius Fox. I'm sure he's heard them all. Let me get this straight. You think that your client, one of the wealthiest, most powerful men in the world, is secretly a vigilante who spends his nights beating criminals to a pulp with his bare hands? And your plan is to blackmail this person? Good luck. This is crazy to me. 24 years old, grew up in the Bahamas. He committed originally, before he signed with the Royals, to NC State. And he said the reason he did that is because he grew up really wanting to be Trey Turner. Trey Turner played at NC State. We've already got somebody young enough in the big leagues who grew up rooting for Trey Turner. How old are we right now, Al? That's crazy. That's crazy. Especially when you consider that Trey Turner perpetually looks like he's 13 years old. He's got the (laughs) babiest face of anyone in baseball, I feel like. He just, he always looks so young. He'll probably always look that young, but man, that is nuts. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call them today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now the set. Here's the pitch. Swing a ground ball toward the middle, and on through a base hit into left center field. Fox to score. Rounding third, coming in to score as well is Hernandez. And over to third on the play goes Soto. Two runs home for the Nationals on a single to left center for Nelson Cruz. His first three RBIs of the year coming in this game. And the Nationals have the lead for the first time. It's Washington 4 and New York 2. Lucius Fox, very much a hero for the Nats on Sunday afternoon. But the biggest hero of the Nats win was Nelson Cruz. And, you know, we'd been waiting on Nelson Cruz to bust out. I mean, you know, this is game four. So, like, it's not like you say, oh, he was mired in some season opening slump. But you know that Nelson Cruz, assuming that he's healthy, he's going to hit for the Nats this season. And boy, did Cruz hit on Sunday afternoon. Off really having not done much over the Nats' first three games of this season, uh, Nelson Cruz on Sunday afternoon was outstanding. Bottom of the first, he smashed a two-out solo homer to left center field off Mets starter Carlos Carrasco, the homer going a projected 403 feet per stat cast. And then how about the clutch hitting of Cruz in that three-run Nats eighth? Bases loaded, two-out, two-run, seeing-eye single up the middle for a 4-2 Nats lead. You know, we don't really think seeing-eye singles when we think Nelson Cruz, but, you know, you got the Nelson Cruz-like home run in the game, and then you got that very key single to give the Nats the lead, give the Nats, you know, some breathing room. Like I said, we know that Cruz is going to hit this season. Good to see him come out like this. And not so coincidentally, in the first game this season in which Nelson Cruz performs well offensively, the Nats get their first win. Yeah, and the key to that, I think, is that it came right after, of all things, Juan Soto with the bases loaded and a chance to tie or take the lead in the game, swings at the first pitch and hits a pretty weak ground ball to the right side. I mean, that could have sucked all the air out of the place if Cruz doesn't come through with his hit and let's say they end up losing 2-1. to one. Well, I guess at that point, it's already a tie game. But, I mean, it definitely would have been a, a deflating moment. So that was big for him to come through. And what you saw in that inning 
across the board, and it's something that Davey talked about before the game and said he mentioned to his players, especially the bottom half of the lineup, which had been really so rough the first three days, says just get the bat on the ball, force the issue, take your walks if you can get them. They didn't get any of those in this game. But I think he felt like guys were chasing, trying to do too much. He said just put the bat on the ball. They did a really nice job of that, including even before Soto, Cesar Hernandez hits what you think could be an inning-ending double play. We may never get to this point. And then Pete Alonso makes a bad throw to second. Everybody's safe, and all of a sudden the bases are loaded. So sometimes just making contact can force the issue. We saw it sometimes last year. That was a nice old-school-style contact rally for them to score those three runs. Yeah, I mean, we should make this clear. This was overall another at best, so-so offensive game for the Nats. I mean, their offense was not good in this series. The Nats did score four runs on Sunday afternoon. That's obviously not some grand total, but the Nats still finished with just five hits. You mentioned the walks, just one walk for the Nats in the game, just five walks for the Nats in the series. They are not drawing walks here to begin this season, but the Nats come through with some key hitting. Some guys who had not done much did do some things. We mentioned Nelson Cruz, Michael Franco, who ends up being one of the few Nats who starts every game in this series. You know, he only went 1 of 13 in this series with no walks, but the one hit was a big one on Sunday. A Franco in that Nats three run eighth inning coming through with a first pitch single up the middle. So it was nice to see that. We also saw Josh Bell draw a walk in this game. And, you know, Josh Bell did end up being a guy. Bell also had a hit in this game. Bell ended up maybe being the Nats' best offensive performer overall in the series. So I do want to give him credit for that. Although with Josh Bell, you know, you do have to bring this up. I don't know what was happening with this. So bottom of the seventh, he draws a two out seven pitch walk. He was down in the count at 1.12. So that was a good piece of hitting, but he gets caught trying to steal second base for the third out in the inning. And he was out by a mile. I know that it was revealed after the game that Bell was running on his own on the play. There goes the runner, Bell, the pitch, a check swing and low. The throw down is there in plenty of time for the out. So Josh Bell, who did not attempt a stolen base last season, tries the sneak attack stolen base, and he is thrown out. What do you think he was thinking and running in that circumstance? So in the moment, I'm thinking somebody missed a sign here. Somebody thought that there was a hit and run on or there was a hit and run on and Yadiel Hernandez didn't realize it. Like something just did not compute in my brain. But I asked Davey about it afterwards and he said, he thought he had it. You know, he saw he saw a splitter, and um, they thought he could take off. You know, first move, and uh, you know, Needle made a good throw. I mean, he picked it, and made a good throw. You're okay with that? I'm okay. Uh, I really am. I'm okay with that. I mean, two outs. You know, he's trying to get scoring position. You know, we didn't get any more detail than that as far as like, did he actually kind of steal the pitch? Like he knew what was coming and anticipated a pitch in the dirt. And I don't know. Davey was okay with it because I guess he felt like the matchup, two outs, runner on first, Yadiel lefty on lefty. Go ahead and try to get yourself in scoring position. That's okay. So he was okay with the thought process. I just felt like that's one of those, unless you're 100% sure you're going to make it, don't do it. You know, Yadiel Hernandez is capable of hitting a ball in the gap, and maybe you bring the run in. Now, he did wind up getting to bat again in the eighth and started the winning rally with a single, but it was a very strange moment and something I think we probably should not see Josh Bell trying to do too often. No. Uh, again, the player we're talking about here is Josh Bell, not Billy Hamilton. So, you know, I think that needs to be 
entered into the conversation. I mean, let's be honest, okay? If Victor Robles does that, he's getting crucified after this game. You know, Josh Bell does it. And I mean, Bell is much more of an established major league batter than Robles is. But like, if you're going to held Robles to these standards, and you should, then Josh Bell should be held to a standard like that too. So unfortunate moment there. But overall, Josh Bell was very much a net plus for the Nats in this series. Do want to make that clear. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Just call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. As you surely know, we have been having very up and down temperatures lately. With up and down temperatures, it's difficult to stay comfortable in your home. With old drafty windows, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you waste on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Buy two windows, get two free. Pay nothing for two years. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Now the 1-1. Swing a soft line drive caught by Bell. He's going to get a double play. He steps on first for the unassisted inning-ending double play. Bell snares the low liner. McNeil was off to the races. He's doubled up. And so just like that, Fetty gets himself out of trouble with a strikeout and a line drive unassisted double play. So we had been begging and yearning and pleading for some length from Nats starting pitchers. And we got length, at least by 2022 Nationals rotation standards on Sunday afternoon as Eric Fetty, or should I say LaVon Fetty, lasted for five innings. It finally happened. A Nats starter lasted for at least five innings uh, in a game. And actually, Fetty pitched pretty well in this game. Two runs in five innings, which again, by Nats 2022 standards, is good. Eric Fetty, two runs in five innings on Sunday afternoon. Five strikeouts. Uh, you know, we talked about this in the last installment of the podcast. Fetty last season did become more of a strikeout pitcher. He was back to being a strikeout pitcher on Sunday. Five strikeouts versus two walks. Uh, he gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He threw 87 pitches, began his outing with three scoreless innings. Uh, top of the four did give up two runs. Leadoff homer by Francisco Lindor got things going. And uh, then he gave up a double to Eduardo Escobar, a walk of Dominic Smith, and then a two-out RBI single to Mark Canna. But interestingly, Davey brings Fetty back out for that fifth inning. Fetty tosses a scoreless top of the fifth. Then Davey goes to the bullpen. Bullpen ended up being outstanding. We get to that in a moment. But, I mean, beggars cannot be choosers. And uh, I don't think we should be choosy over this. Eric Fetty did his job. Obviously, you don't want to be throwing parades over five-inning outings, but with the way things had been going, I think you take this and run with it if you're the Nats. Yeah, he did what they needed him to do on this day. That's essentially what it boils down to. They had to get five quality innings out of their starter so that they could then turn it over to their A bullpen to finally be used the way that you'd want to use them in a tight game. You know, what we saw, it's the same pattern. All four starters in this series— 
first couple innings look really good, usually pretty efficient. And then now you have to face a lineup the second time, and it starts to get a little hairy. And he struggled there in the fourth. Now, what he did that the other guys couldn't do was he came back, and he actually called the fifth inning his best of the afternoon. He felt like that's the best that he felt and the best that he pitched the entire afternoon. So that was really important because you didn't know there, was he actually going to complete that inning or not? I feel like there is something to be said here for all these pitchers, their first time in the season in colder weather, building their arms up in a higher pressure situation than you face in spring training. I think there's something to this, that they all started well, and then by the fourth and fifth innings, maybe not the same. You would hope five days from now, it's a different story, and then another five days after that. But as we talked about the other night, there is still more to it than that. There is the idea of learning how to face a lineup a second time and even a third time eventually and how to be successful. That's going to be the key as we move along in this season. But for now, I think it's pretty obvious that these starters are not where you ideally want them to be going into a season. And it is a grind to get them through five. Thankfully, it finally happened today for Fetty. Yeah, the Nats needed that. So hats off to Fetty, who, remember, was dealing with an oblique issue not that long ago. Didn't ever seem to be super serious. But, you know, you do wonder if maybe he wasn't even at, you know, 100% for this game, maybe like 95% or something like that. He comes out and he does well. I mean, this really is the first season in Eric Fetty's career in which he is a no-doubt member of the Nats rotation. Now, you could certainly argue that that shouldn't be the case. In other words, on a better team, he wouldn't be in the rotation, but he is. And so I think it's interesting to see what he'll end up doing this season, because if there's one thing you can say in defense of Eric Fetty, and look, overall, he's been a disappointment off having been a first round pick of the Nats all the way back in 2014. But if there's one thing that you could say in his defense is that he has been toggled a bunch in his career between starter and reliever and pitching at the major league level versus pitching at the minor league level. Like there's been a lot of uncertainty with him in his career. And, you know, a good bit of that has been on him. In other words, he has needed to have pitched better. But some of that, too, has just been on the way he's been handled. And so to have this certainty of you're in the rotation and given the state of this pitching staff, unless you give the Nats extreme reason not to be in the rotation, you're going to be in the rotation for the duration of the season. I wonder if that might end up working in Fetty's favor. And maybe he does finally end up having the season that we've all been wanting him to have. So I think I said the other night about how I just sensed a different kind of confidence from him this spring. And I think it had to do with that fact that he knew he's not necessarily pitching for his job every time he takes him out. It's not that uncertainty of, well, am I in the rotation or no? Or am I in the bullpen? Or am I going to get sent down? Or am I the emergency starter if Max Scherzer's neck acts up again? Like, no, he knows as long as he's healthy, that he's going to pitch every fifth day. And there is a little bit of, uh, you know, stick your chest out a little bit. Okay, I'm kind of a veteran now. I mean, he was drafted eight years ago. He's been in the big leagues on and off for a while now. And on this team, he has a little more clout. So I've noticed that outwardly from him. And I was curious to see how that would apply uh, in the game. And I think it was good signs all around. I mean, yeah, you'd like him to be a little better than that. You'd like him not to labor that second time through the order. But Given the short spring and everything else, I think that's quite all right for him to start his season like this if you can build off of it and now do something more. And if he could just somehow become a pitcher who you can count on to give you five or six innings and keep you in a game, that's all they need from him. They don't need him to be the ace of this team. That's not ultimately where he's going. They just need somebody who gives you quality innings and gives you a chance to win every fifth day. So Fetty gives the Nats two runs in five innings, and then comes the Nats' bullpen. And Davey, for the first time in this series, did not have to use five relievers in a game. He only had to use four. So again, we take the victories where we can get them in this 2022 season. But for a second consecutive game in this series, the Nats' bullpen was quite good. Let me give this bullpen 
fully deserve credit here. The four Nats relievers, Steve Ciszek, Sean Doolittle, Kyle Finnegan, and Tanner Rainey combined for four scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Ciszek, who did not get ejected in this game, tossed a scoreless top of the six. He began the top of the seventh, so that was interesting. Davey brings Ciszek back out for that seventh inning. Uh, Ciszek does struggle. He begins the seventh by giving up a leadoff five-pitch walk to Jeff McNeil, followed by giving up first-pitch bunt single to Tomas Nito, then gets pulled from the game, and then... Into the game comes the ultimate fireman, apparently, Sean Doolittle, who for a second time in this season comes into the game in a jam and is excellent. Nothing in two. Doolittle sets at the letters. The leg up and the pitch. Swing and a miss. High fastball. See you later. And Sean Doolittle with a big time scream looking out towards center field, exalting with that performance. Doolittle, top of the seventh, comes in. Runners on first and second. Nobody out. Gets out of the jam, faces three batters, gets three outs, including strikeouts of Brandon Nimmo and Robinson Cano. And strikeouts of Nimmo and Cano on three pitches each. Has any Nats pitcher, starter or reliever, looked better than Sean Doolittle has so far this season? Then Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the eighth. Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless top of the ninth for the Nats' first save in this season. So this actually ends up being a rather good series for Doolittle, Finnegan, and Rainey. Good to see this. I mean, you know, we keep saying it. It's true. The bullpen can't be keep being leaned on like this. But second straight game, the bullpen more than does its job. Yeah. And if you put those guys, the A bullpen, in a position where they have a chance to close out a game, I think more often than not, they're going to do it. I like that arrangement with those four. Ideally, you'd only have to use maybe three of them on a given night instead of all four, because now we'll see who's available on Monday. But I would probably also add Tyler Clippard at some point in the near future. I think we will be seeing him maybe even before this first road trip is over. And now you've got four or five kind of legitimate options late in games. And I like that scenario. Doolittle, I agree, he has been the best of anybody on the staff starter or reliever so far. You know, Rainey gets the save, Doolittle gets the honorary save. That was the real save of the game there for the second time already this year. Two on, nobody out, top of the lineup up. He's getting fastballs, high fastballs past good hitters. Again, 94 to Nimmo, 95 to Cano. Like you said, on three pitches, there is a confidence there with him that we maybe didn't see the last time he was here in 2020. It's really good signs from Sean Doolittle, so much so that I'll be curious to see how this plays out. I think it's clear Davey has kind of hinted all along that he would like Rainey to be the closer. But if Sean Doolittle is clearly their best reliever at some point, you may have to say, hey, we're going to see him in the ninth inning, especially if it matches up right with lefties in those situations. I'm glad to see Davey use him so far in the high pressure, you know, high leverage spots, even if it is earlier in the game. But as this all plays out, if he's pitching like that, that's closer stuff if he can get there. Yeah. And if he's pitching like this, that is a trade deadline. Can't let everyone just enjoy themselves. First win. Sean Doolittle's back. He's riding in on the bullpen cart. You already have to trade him here on April 10th, Al, don't you? Oh, my brother. Yes, I do. Flip him. Acquire him and flip him, man. Fix him and flip him. That's the way of a good organization. Fix and flip. You get the guys who are coming off bad seasons. You fix them. You rehab them. And then you flip them. You get prospects back for them. That's the way to do it. Is this Major League Baseball or an HGTV show? What are we talking about here? They're not as dissimilar as you may think, my friend. <laughs> we, we, you know, the Property Brothers have nothing on you and me. Never forget that, okay? <laughs> Never forget that. So the Nats on Sunday morning announced a roster move. I don't know if the facts back this up. It felt like last season, Sunday was Transactions Day. And like every Sunday, 
the Nats announced a horde of transactions. Now, you didn't get like a truckload of transactions on Sunday, but you did have the Nats on Sunday morning announcing the placement of Mason Thompson on the 10-day injured list with what the Nats are calling a right bicep strain. Remember, he uh, sort of cryptically left the game on Saturday night after three pitches was shaking his right arm, which is never a good sign for a pitcher. I guess the good news is that we're being told this is a biceps issue as opposed to like an elbow issue. And the Nats, interestingly, recalling Hunter Harvey from AAA Rochester, the former Orioles reliever. But is it safe to say that this Mason Thompson thing isn't an elbow ailment, or is there still a possibility of that? So by the end of the day, they had the MRI results, and Davey Martinez said that it's right biceps tendonitis. And he called that, you know, in his mind, like best case scenario for what this could have been. So they were looking at the elbow just in case. Mason Thompson is a guy who had uh, Tommy John surgery earlier in his career, so they were worried. But the indication here is that it's not too bad. That's uh, encouraging because you would hate to lose him for any length of time. The call-up of Harvey surprised me. I mean, I knew we were going to see him here at some point, but the whole reason for him going to AAA was that he joined the team late, still need to build himself up. This is a guy with plenty of injuries himself in the past while he was with the Orioles. He only pitched twice for Rochester, including closing the game on Saturday night in Toledo. And so get this, he gets the call at 11 o'clock on uh, Saturday night, hey, we need you in town. We need you for Sunday's game at one thirty-five. You can either drive from Toledo to Detroit and fly in, or you can drive here yourself. He didn't want to leave his wife, you know, alone in Detroit with their car to then make it to D.C. herself. So they decided to drive all night, the two of them, seven and a half hours. They get to D.C. He said he went to sleep for one hour, probably wishes he hadn't done that. He said he felt worse, would have preferred just to show up on fumes. I'm thinking all along, like, there's no way he's going to actually pitch in this game, is there? He was available just in case. Thankfully, they didn't have to get to that. But I'll be real interested to see what they have here. I mean, as you know, he's got a great arm. If he can somehow stay healthy and throw strikes, they could have something. But I figured he wasn't quite ready for this yet. I'm sure in an ideal scenario, they wouldn't have called him yet, but they needed somebody after Thompson went down. Yeah, I mean, with Hunter Harvey, it's never been a question of talent. It's always been a question of health. He has been hurt so often. I mean, it's been um, it's been sad what's happened with him in his career. But the thing is, he's actually still rather young. Like, he got drafted years ago by the Orioles, but he's still not even, uh, like, close to 30. So if he could ever somehow stay healthy, you might actually have something in him. He throws fire. I mean, his fastball velocity is uh, deep into the 90s. So 100% that this was a worthwhile pickup for the Nats. I mean, it cost him nothing to get Hunter Harvey. Boy, a lot of former Orioles in the news for the Nats on Sunday with Nelson Cruz and Michael Franco and Lucius Fox and Hunter Harvey. And maybe we'll have another one on Monday in Josh Rogers. We'll see. We don't know with certainty as we tape this installment of the Nats Chat podcast who the Nats starting pitcher will be on Monday night for game one of a three-game series at the Atlanta Braves. It's a 7.20 start time. Anibal Sanchez was supposed to be the Nats starting pitcher, but he's dealing with a stiff neck. Do you think it's going to be Josh Rogers? Is there any chance Anibal makes a start? No, Davey pretty much said that it's doubtful. And even after the game kind of said, like, we're not going to announce who our starter is yet, but if somebody else is going to be coming from uh, somebody who's not on the roster currently. So they're not going to try to bullpen game this. They're not going to put Paolo Espino out there to start the game. And really the only one who lines up and makes any sense here is Josh Rogers, who has not pitched yet for Rochester. Now, I don't know for sure if he was supposed to start Sunday's game for them, but he didn't. Instead, it was Jackson Tetral who started their opening day on the same day that Josh was optioned there on the final day of spring training, and a shocking move, I think, for a lot of us. So 
Davey said all along, you know, when we sent Rogers down, hey, if we need somebody, you're probably going to be the first one called up. Well, it lines up right. So it would seem to make a lot of sense he'd be the guy. Cade Cavalli, for those wondering, doesn't line up. He would be on short rest after his debut for Rochester this year. The only other one conceivably who it could be would be Aaron Sanchez, who signed on a minor league deal, but he's still building himself up and he's not on the 40-man roster. So to add him, you have to drop someone else. It just, all the signs point to Josh Rogers. It makes too much sense. Call him up and have him start this game. And then after all that, we'll see him maybe actually get to be a member of the uh, five-man rotation to start the season. Yeah, you know, I was going to say there's a saying in basketball, ball don't lie. And, you know, in baseball, it's funny because you could make the case Josh Rogers deserved to be in the Nat season opening rotation more than Anibal Sanchez did. And it felt to me that the Nats sort of set things up so that Sanchez would make it and Rodgers wouldn't. It was odd the way Rodgers was used in the exhibition season. It always felt like the Nats wanted Anibal Sanchez to make the rotation and maybe didn't want Josh Rodgers to make the rotation. And now it may (laughs) turn out that Rodgers gets the start that Anibal Sanchez was supposed to have. I mean, Rodgers did a pretty nice job for the Nats last season. I don't want to overstate what he was, but you know, he and uh, Sean Nolan actually did a halfway decent job in the dying days of that season. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's one of these guys, it's hard to have a lot of faith in him ever becoming anything for the Nats, but why not? You know, maybe there is something to him. So it'd be interesting to see how he does if he does start the game on Monday night. It's a tough assignment, though, against the very good Braves lineup in Atlanta. Not that anybody would have an easier time with that, but to get thrown to the wolves like that. We'll see. But hey, he wanted his shot and it looks like he's probably going to get it. Yeah. Josh Rogers over his first four major league starts for the Nats last season, 25 innings, ERA at 216. He's a two-time Tommy John guy. We know how much Mike Rizzo loves Tommy John guys, especially two-time Tommy John guys. So if nothing else, Josh has that going for him with the Nats. You tell us what you think. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. That is Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already doing that. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating, please do that. Uh, please also write like a one or two sentence review saying how much that you like the podcast. Uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. The ratings and the reviews help to make the podcast successful. And we thank you very much for doing the ratings and the reviews. All highlights on Nats Chat are brought to you by 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. When you're starting to pile up that many home runs, Dave, you're in the 450 range and, and beyond, you're keeping company with Hall of Famers. <laughs> yeah, many have reached that mark are in. And usually if they're not, they're extenuating circumstances. One ball, no strikes. Here's a swing and a drive hit well to deep left center field. On the run and way back there may go, and it is gone. Goodbye! Bang! Zoom goes the boomstick with his first home run in a Nationals uniform. 